Welcome back to Detroit Strange. We're so glad you're here. We took a week off, but we're back. We did. We forgot to tell you, so we're sorry. Surprise. But we're happy to be back. Yes. In yeah. In the flash recording. Yeah. The live. Yes. I mean, not for listeners. It's not live right now. It is pre-recorded. But we're we're live. We're live, live right now. Yes. So that's good. Yes. Yeah. Part of the reason that we took a week off is you went on a cruise. I did. You had an adventure. I did. I went off on an adventure in the Caribbean, a masked adventure. It was very masked, which was good because when I booked this cruise, we booked it back in like summer, right? Like the, I looked at it, it was like the end of June last summer. And I foolishly thought humanity would be like, yes, a vaccine. Let's all get it and end this. Yeah. That's not Turns what out I was wrong. Yeah. But I still got to go on vacation, so whatever. Yeah. And, I mean, you got to do what you got to do. Yeah. Do it as carefully as you can. Yep. Be mindful and thoughtful of others. Right. And, like, it was a good time, though. Like, like I said, everyone, like you had to be masked on the boat, which was fine, because pretty much had to be masked anywhere else you go these days. Yeah. So, it was kind of just like being anywhere else, but you're just on a boat. Yeah. And there's sun. And alcohol. <laughs> we did the drink package, so mm-hmm. I was lit for a lot of this cruise. It was great. Do you remember it? Most of it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, it sounds like a fantastic time. It was. It was great. It was nice just to like get away for a little bit. I was quarantining for like one to two weeks before I left because like I'm not going to test positive for this and not be able to go from yeah. this cruise. So I like didn't leave my house or see anyone for two weeks. And then I saw everyone because I was on a cruise. Yeah. And then you kind of came back and didn't really see people for a second. Yeah, I came back in quarantine. I like wasn't feeling well when I got back, but it also could have been like the averaging like five hours of sleep a night and also drinking heavily for a week. So it was like, Mm -hmm. is this COVID or my garbage lifestyle choices? A constant question I'm asking. Well, and there's always the travel bug too. Yeah. Because you're, you're on that plane with like the dry air that's just like circulating around. And even if you're in a mask, I mean, that only protects from so much. Right. Um, And being being exhausted. And you know what I mean? Like there's a lot of impact on an immune system from traveling. Yeah. So odds are, and being sleep deprived, like odds are you're going to get a little something, something. Yeah. I notoriously always get like a tiny, I mean, pre-COVID times, I've only been on one plane since. Yeah. But, you know, I always got a little something. Yeah. Which is why airborne exists. Like, that's literally the reason for airborne is to combat, you know. Right. Before that happens. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it makes me want to vomit. But, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So that's just part of it. Yeah. It's great. And I'm so glad. You had a good time and I can't wait to see more photos and videos because the one you showed me already was great. Yeah. I'm not a shot person. <laughs> I've learned. I, I like just it's nobody is though. There are people like I used well, there's the thing. I used to be a shot person. Yeah, but and that's then they did me dirty too yeah. many times. And, and then now you get older and your body is like, why? Right. Otherwise, 
I'll drink like a Manhattan, which is pretty much just pure alcohol, but I can't shoot it, you know? Well, yeah, it's different. Sipping is different. And also Manhattan, like you do have a few other things in there and it is for sipping. Like, yeah, it's it's a very different situation going on there. Yeah, and also shots, some of them are like a lot of like this is also like mystery Caribbean shot too. too. Yeah, there's sometimes a lot going on in a very tiny shot. Yeah. Girl. Girl. <laughs> Minerva was scratching on a scratching post very loudly. Yeah. Very close to my mic. She is just. She wants attention. She does. We'll give you attention a little bit. We love you. Got here, Shrimp Scampi. You're great. Literally does nothing for hours all day. We start Mm -hmm. recording. Mm -hmm. Because I get it. I get it. I get it. So the other weird thing is, so we're recording this on Valentine's Day. Yes. Which this is strange. I literally this week had two people ask me what my Valentine's Day plans are. I've never in my life had somebody ask me what my Valentine's Day plans are. Yeah. I guess it's a fine question. I've just never thought about asking somebody. So like, what are your plans for Valentine's Day? And then I have to have like <laughs> the lamest answer. I'm like, um, I don't know. They sell a bumpy cake for two people at my local grocery store. I might go pick one of those up. Yeah. Bumpy and I'm like, good. that is like the ultimate like single woman. I'm going to go buy cake. And I may or I may not. I don't actually know if I will. But I think that's all. Because even when I've been in relationships on Valentine's Day, I guess I've done something, but I've never been like Valentine's Day. I hate it. I usually hate it this year. Quarantine is maybe like reevaluate how I celebrate holidays. Mm -hmm. And this Valentine's Day weekend, I like reframed it of, Oh man, I don't have a significant other to show all this love and care to. And then I'm like, I have I've me. got me. Yeah. So I kind of just spent this whole weekend. Of, I bought myself candy. I watched movies. I did what I wanted to do. I love it. Yeah. I'm celebrating by wearing my Leslie Nope and Ben Wyatt earrings. So love I'm that. in between the greatest couple right now. Yes. <laughs> if people had not asked me that, I don't know that I would have known which day was Valentine's Day other than it's mid-February. Right. It's funny. Uh, this is very Valentine's Day lighting in here, though. It's very pink and yeah. orangey red. The lighting scheme is literally called romance. <laughs> I like made it when I was watching some kind of romance anime, and there was very this was very much the vibe. Okay. And so I just made it and spelled romance in Japanese. So it's romance. <laughs> I learned from my boss today, just speaking of Valentine's Day, that there apparently was you know the cheap little Valentine's Day cards you take in elementary school. Yeah. yeah. There is a shortage this year. Ooh. Isn't that the weirdest shortage you've ever heard? Yeah, it's up there. It's cardboard. Yeah. It's flimsy, flimsy cardboard. <laughs> like paperboard. Yeah. Not surprised. That makes sense. Cause like we got more important shit. Yeah. For me, it's what happened ham. to the days where you made your own Valentine's Day card. Right. Go find your own paper. Find some doilies. Right. Everyone has a pile of doilies laying around their house. Yes. Yes. It's a common everyday household <laughs> item, these doilies. Especially the paper ones, the paper ones. Yeah. (laughs) You don't have to starch the paper ones. No, they're They're already. They're pre-starched. They're pre-starched. Yeah. Yeah. And just some doilies, some construction paper and a glue stick. Right. That's all you need for Valentine's Day. Oh, some scissors. Yeah. Okay. We are getting more complicated. It's turning into a craft. You need a marker. Yeah. At least one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think the solution is just tell people, Mm -hmm. hey, happy Valentine's Day. Or do it with Dove Promises. 
I, the candy I did buy for myself was three bags of Dove chocolates. Perfect. Because they were on sale. If you buy $12 worth, you get something. Now, you are know. we talking a variety or did you get all one kind? So I got three different kinds. Okay. I got the dark chocolate heart. Okay. Approve. The caramel filled ones, like milk chocolate mm-hmm. with caramel inside. Still prefer the dark, but. I was working with a limited selection. And then the third bag was like the truth or dare ones, which were fudged c- cookie nonsense. Oh, I've never heard of that. So they were just like little like chunks of cookie in these chocolate things. My favorite ones are the sea salt caramel ones. Yeah. And I believe they're dark chocolate. I'm pretty sure they're dark chocolate. And I used to put them in the middle of oatmeal chocolate chip cookies. Ooh. Yeah. Cookie game changer. Oh, right yeah. That sounds mm-hmm. delicious. And sometimes they would leak out a little bit, but then it would like burn a little bit. But then it was Get good. a little crunchy. Oh, yeah. yeah. It was good. Mm. Highly recommend it. Love it. I put it on my food blog that I had for one month. <laughs> We've all we've Tumblr, all been my there. food Tumblr. We've all had a, a a blog we did for a second. Yeah, we we did. It was very much like you know, it was a rite of passage on the internet. You had to have at least mm-hmm. one stupid blog. Yeah, I, well, I mostly wasn't doing it actually to blog, but more to like keep recipes that I liked in a pla- an accessible yeah. place. Tumblr. It was Tumblr. Yes, yeah. it was Tumblr. I have at least one Tumblr recipe in my cookbook, though. It was those like. Pumpkin cream cheese muffins. Those I came from Tumblr. Those. Okay. Yeah. Good old callback to Tumblr. Question for you. Super Bowl. Do you have any idea who played? I'm pretty sure it was Cincinnati. The Cincinnati Chili's versus the. Yes. No, I think I think they're the. No, that's Cle- Cleveland Browns. The, I think. Yeah. I think it was Cincinnati. This is clearly a great answer <laughs> versus. I mean, you know more than I do. This is why Lisa and I made that sketch last year yeah. of who played the Super Bowl yesterday. And it's just us making up fake, fake football teams. teams. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The Cincinnati Chili's versus someone mm-hmm. versus the I can't I honestly can't even remember. I was like, I wish I could come up with the other city. The Denver Ding Dongs. The, the Denver Doilies. Yes. <laughs> the Cincinnati Chili's versus the Denver Doilies. Yep. Perfect. Yep. And then, you know, the doilies uh, came in at the last minute. Oh, that staffer guy was on one of the teams. Oh, he <laughs> was know, from, from Michigan. He's, yeah. yeah, he was a Michigan person at some point. Yeah. Matt Stafford? I think so. <laughs> there are people probably screaming at us right now. I know. That's why I bring up these conversations. I don't know what team he was on, and I don't know if they look... <laughs> They won or lost, but I'm pretty sure he was on one of the teams. I feel I like I overheard that. Cincinnati Chili's. He was the raw onion to their Cincinnati chili. Perfect. Yep. Or was he the spaghetti? Because isn't there spaghetti? There is spaghetti. Yeah. That's yeah. the spaghetti chili. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Super Bowl. Literally, neither of us care about enough to remember it for 15 minutes that it exists. Yeah. I've been to like a Super Bowl party, I guess, and I don't mind it in that aspect of like just being around people, but I don't care uh mm-hmm. at all i do like the puppy bowl although okay. i'm a little sad because i didn't i'm not gonna lie i didn't watch all of the puppy bowl this year because it's <gasps> becoming way more corporate uh, <laughs> but it was fun because it was it was snoop and martha of course it was so i watched that and then i noticed that people on social media were commenting on the halftime show for the uh, real Super Bowl. And I was like, oh, now I can turn it on. So I turned on a live stream and rewound it to the halftime show and watched that and then turned it immediately off. 
How was the halftime show? Because it was like a weird lineup. It was a great lineup. Like, yeah, but it was just like it's weird in the fact that it was like 12 people, I feel like. It was five. Okay. But it actually ended up being, I think, seven because there were two like surprise surprise. guys. Yeah. That bring Kelly Rowland at that stage again. Okay. But it was great. It was like, it was interesting. The set was interesting. It was like this like long, like stark white, like house thing. Mm -hmm. And so like there was like a, you know, performance on the roof and then like in one of the rooms and then like out in front of it. Yeah. So they moved around that really cool. The big takeaway is that Eminem got told not to take a knee and then he took a knee for like 50 seconds for a very long time. Uh, like the NFL said, no, you can't do that. Okay. And then he did do that. Eminem's not here to follow your rules. No, but it was great to watch it. It Mary J. Blige, how that woman is doing what she's doing. I don't know how old she is or anything, but she looked fantastic. And like, it, it just, I don't know. And it was really fun. What song did she sing? Because she's probably my favorite. Oh my gosh. Was it Family Affair? I need to hear it. I don't know the song names. I don't know uh, any song names. Was she we against just the hateration and holleration in this dancery? Or was she doing just fine? I could take my life. My life's just fine. fine, fine, fine I honestly fine, can't remember fine. because there was like seven songs in the whole thing. And my brain is mush. Fair. Now I'm like, who did what song did anybody sing? Just tell me nobody sang fucking imagine. No, definitely Thank not. God. No, it was all like their music for sure. Yeah. I mean, it was like a medley too, though. And they were helping each other out on certain parts and like Maybe I'll actually go back and watch the mm-hmm. halftime show because I didn't I, last year. Do you know Eminem saying lose yourself? Cause I He did you know he did promote the mom spaghetti. He did have to. I thought about that actually during that that line. I was like, hmm, that's a restaurant now. Yeah. It sure is. <laughs> Maybe I'll have it someday. I don't know. We should do a bonus episode where we get the food and react to it. Oh, let's do it. Yeah. I would love that. We could do it like during a movie one. Yeah. Yeah. Let's find an Italian Dinner movie. movie. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's, it all comes back to spaghetti. Yep. That's what I learned. And that's what we know about sports. <laughs> the more you know. That's not how that song goes. <laughs> At all. At all, at all. That's okay, though. It's okay. Yeah. This is not a sports podcast. Not even kind of. Well, now that all our sports fans are enraged, shall we get to the story? Oh, yeah. I think that's probably a good idea. So today we're sipping on a little sangria. Oh, yes. A little box sangria action. I made enchiladas this weekend, so it's like I had to get sangria. Does sangria go with enchiladas specifically? No. I was just like... (laughs) Mexican theme. I hit like had guacamole and geladas. The sangria is Spanish. Oh yeah, it definitely is. <laughs> and it's a box, so it's definitely not from either Spain or Mexico. It's just garbage box wine. I listen. I got used to drinking on the ship again, so I was like, I need just garbage liquor around. That is totally garbage fine. alcohol. Yep, totally, totally fine. Don't know sports. Don't know food. Tell me a story. <laughs> Well, on that note, today's story, we were going on a road trip at one point, so you you do have to buckle a little, but there's like definitely Detroit reference in here as well. And this one kind of caught my attention and actually most of the dates of it kind of come up in March. So it's also like seasonal. I don't know. It's not really, but sure. Just in time for March Madness. Another sports thing we'll cover (laughs) when it gets there. Yep. So this is a, have you ever heard? Have you ever heard of Viola Liuzzo? I have not. 
Okay. Love the name. Yeah. I am also going to call her V at certain points because that's like a nickname. What her, yeah. 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 So Vela Leozo was born April 11th, 1925 in a small town in Pennsylvania. And she was the eldest daughter of Ava Wilson, a teacher, and Heber Ernest Gregg, a minor and World War One vet. Even a minor. How old was he? Well, this is 1925. I'm just making bad jokes. Oh. Please continue. <laughs> Sorry. I was like, wait, what? So she had one younger sister named Rosemary. And one day while on the job, her father's right hand was blown off in a mine explosion. So Damn. yeah, not, not great for the family. This was also roughly around the time of the Great Depression kind of coming into town. They became dependent on her mother's income. It was hard for Mrs. Gregg to find work, only finding like short term sporadic teaching positions here and there. This is when the family moved to Chattanooga, Tennessee. Viola was about six or so when they moved there. Okay. So they usually lived in small one room dwellings, family of four. And sometimes they even had no running water. Uh, Again, not a huge income coming in. Not a lot of work. The children's school didn't have enough supplies and the teachers didn't usually have time to give extra attention to any of the kids in need Mm -hmm. because they were probably large classes, I'm assuming. So not much has changed. Yeah. Yeah. And the Greg family moved around often, but they remained in Tennessee for quite some time. This really opened Viola's eyes up to the segregated nature of the South Mm -hmm. as she was experiencing it firsthand. Now, her family was white, but again, they were in the South. So, yeah. They were, they saw segregation everywhere because it was, it was everywhere, but it was heavy in the South. Yeah. Her mother at some point was probably struggling to find teaching positions and became the manager of a grocery store. But again, she was supporting everybody. So money was tight. One large benefit again is living in these situations. V had exposure to meeting and getting to know many people often of other races. Yeah. And there was actually one story I found in one of my documents of her stealing money out of the till of the store her mother worked in to give it to a child that she felt could use it oh yeah so she was stealing to give to like other people that she just she was being robin hood yeah which is nice viola dropped out of high school when she was about 16 years old and one year after that she eloped somewhere in chattanooga area Mm -hmm. this marriage wouldn't last though and in 1941 the greggs moved to ypsilanti where mr greg sought out a job uh, plant assembling bombs Okay. So she joined her family. She moved up north to live with them. In 1943, at age 18, Viola married George Argeris, the manager of the restaurant she was working at, and the couple moved to Detroit. They went on to have two children, Penny and Mary. The couple got divorced, though, in 1949, okay. a few years later. So somewhere in the mid-40s enters one of the best influences of her life. Sarah Evans. Sarah Evans was a black woman who was working as a cashier in a grocery store. And basically a little bit about her is she was one of 14 children born in Mississippi. I know that's a lot of kids. And Sarah eventually moved north in search of a better life and looking for more opportunities for herself. Once north, she eventually found a good husband with a good job in a steel mill. And the couple bought a nice house in the Boston Edison area where she was still living at the turn of the century. And this is a real meet cute too. Sarah would later talk about the day that she met the young, light, redheaded woman. Uh The story goes like this. One day, Viola was shopping, grocery shopping at a store on Linwood. And it was wartime and Pepper was rationed. 
So Sarah's boss kept the pepper under the counter for special customers. Sarah on this fateful day was the cashier and contradicted her boss by telling Viola that they did have pepper under the counter, to which Viola responded, you're my kind of people. Yes. The two hit it off and they kept in touch the rest of their lives. I love that. Eventually, they actually met again in a home where Sarah was babysitting and it turned out that Viola lived just upstairs. They also like ran into each other again, like in real life. So I think they like kind of knew each other and then they ran into each other and then it was just fate like a friend love story yes and they got along on a lot of things particularly their views of civil rights uh-huh. viola around this time was working at a bar that hosted many athletes and teamsters and this is where v and anthony quote-unquote jimmy liuzo a teamsters union business agent met okay the couple married in 1951 and anthony and jim is what his friends call him so they, he went on to adopt her children, Penny and Mary. Oh. And with him, she went on to have three more children. Tommy, Anthony, who will be referred to as Tony Jr. Okay. And Sally. The couple did experience two other pregnancies in between Tony and Sally, but they were to result in the loss of both babies. One lived a few hours and was actually baptized and the other was stillborn. But according to the Catholic doctrine, the unbaptized baby couldn't go to heaven. And this caused V to start questioning her Catholicism and began to kind of question a lot of things yeah. in her life. This also left her, especially after the loss of the second child, in a deep depression. So she checked herself into a mental hospital where she was evaluated for a nervous breakdown. Dr. Samet, the evaluator, suggested it was possibly schizophrenia. But this is also most likely to the shock that he had when V declared that she wanted to become a doctor and that she wasn't happy as being a homemaker. Love that. Shocking. Yeah. Oh. She must be hysterical. Yeah. Dumb woman. So after a few weeks, she did return home and she, again, was questioning her Catholic upbringing. And she started to kind of change things around a little bit. Viola returned to school and attended the Carnegie Institute in Detroit. But with five kids, she needed a little help. And that's when Sarah steps in and starts to help with things around the Liuzo house. Love that. So a little bit of childcare, kind of some cleaning. Although it is also later noted that V would drop into Sarah's house and also help her with cleaning, too. Love that. Yeah, because apparently neither of them were like naturally. Super clean people, <laughs> you know, like, I get that. Yeah. Anthony, your husband was expecting a more traditional wife, though, and he didn't understand fully her passion for helping others or going out of her way for others. And he often warned her that one day she would suffer as a consequence of her beliefs. But this didn't deter her. What a shitty thing to say, too. I know. Again, though, we're talking about a man who works for the Teamsters Union. Yeah. I'm sure we'll go into that very, very minusculely, but like, I'm sure he heard a lot of stories or even experienced a lot. That's fair. Uh, He he knew Jimmy. Okay. Yeah. And just a reminder, if you've seen or know where Jimmy Hoffa is, our email address, DetroitStrange at gmail.com. Let us know. So things around the home had more points of contention as well, though. Viola's eldest daughters were now teenagers, and Anthony thought they should have more rules, such as being limited from dating and restricted from social functions. And I'm sure that goes over great with teenage daughters. Oh, yeah. So it caused a little bit of a household rift. Viola continued to struggle with her relationship with the girls as well. And 
this also added to her depression. So kind of a almost like cyclical kind of situation. Penny and Mary were angry with her for one instance, because she unsuccessfully challenged a law that allowed teenagers to drop out of school. I couldn't find too much about it. Yeah. And in protest, V withdrew the two eldest daughters from the school system. And after two months, she was actually arrested for doing so because there was basically a law. Truancy, that said they yeah. Had, yeah. And she pled guilty and was placed on probation. In addition to this, her daughters were angry for being pulled out of school because they didn't want to be pulled out. Right. Like, don't use me for your political moves, mom. Yeah. And Viola was actually hospitalized once again. Her daughters somewhere around this point moved in with their grandmother for a short period while the younger three children stayed with V. Yeah. So in 1961, so we're going hot a little bit. She started to actually focus on really forming her own way of independence. Again, she, she had gone to school at this point, but she actually enrolled in college and earned a degree as a medical technician and graduated with honors from the Carnegie Institute. Okay. And after in 1962, she enrolled at Wayne State University to become a nurse. Okay. So really kind of going for yeah. what she wants. By 1964, she began attending the first Unitarian Universalist Church of Detroit. So she found a new... Her, not that specific one, but I like... I met a unit. I roomed with the Universal Unitarian. Nope. Uni, nope. Unitarian Universalist. That's yeah. the one. I roomed with a UU minister yeah. when I was in New Mexico. Oh, that's kind of fun. Yeah. Very interesting yeah. system or religion. Uh, it's a bit more kind of open, isn't it? Yeah. Like it's kind of just like there's a higher power. Yeah. Let's talk. Yeah. Yeah. Conversational. Yeah. And in 1965, after being urged by Sarah, V joined the NAACP. Love it. Yeah. So she started to do things like organize protests, attend civil rights conferences, and more work through the NAACP. So now we're going to go for just a little bit to 1965. We're going to be in 1965 for a second. Okay. So elsewhere in Alabama, on the evening of February 18th, 1965, a group of unarmed uh, activists gathered at the, I believe, the Union United Methodist Church in Marion, Alabama. They were there just in support of James Orange, the recently arrested field security for the Southern Christian Leadership Conferences, CLC, as I will refer to them because they will come up. Okay. Uh, at this event, 400 unarmed activists approached and were met by state troopers who proceeded to club them. And the event would result in the shooting of 26 year old. African-American Jimmy Lee Jackson, who was trying to protect his mother and grandfather from a policeman who had followed them into Max Cafe after the activists basically were kind of dispersing. That's fucked. Yeah. Well, they were dispersing because like they were under attack. Well, no, though, yeah, but yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Like it's fucked up that they're like trying to like, OK, we're dispersing and the cop followed them. And yeah. It was like bang, bang. Yeah. There's going to be a lot of. Those motherfucker moments in this story. OK. So Jimmy was shot twice in his stomach and he died eight days later at a local hospital after succumbing to his injuries. His death would be part of the gruesome fight for basically civil voting rights in Alabama. Uh-huh. The SCLC then scheduled a protest for Sunday, March 7th, 1965 in Selma, Alabama. I heard her. I was going to say this. This will probably ring bells, but. I'm I'm glad to have researched this because I didn't know as much. Yeah. So 
The governor of Alabama at the time was George Wallace, and he banned the march, but this was ignored by the activists. Mm-hmm. 600 marchers or so headed to the Edmund Pettus Bridge that crossed the Alabama River to protest. As marchers continued across, they were met on the other side with state troopers armed with clubs, whips, and tear gas. After being told to disperse, the marchers refused. This is when more violence started. Again, clubbing, whipping, fracturing bones, gashing heads, and so on, you can imagine. In the end, 17 people were hospitalized, and the day would go on to be known as Bloody Sunday. Mm -hmm. So another march was then planned for just two days later, March 9th. This is when 2,000 activists from all backgrounds and close and far came. This time, troopers and police confronted those marching at the county end of the bridge. But this time, troopers stepped aside to let the marchers pass. Martin Luther King Jr. led marchers back to the church where they were then told to disperse. For this march, why were the cops different? I don't know. Well, there was actually a federal injunction that was created to protect the activists at this one. Nice. This event was known as Turnaround Tuesday. But despite this being peaceful earlier in the day, James Reeb, a Unitarian Universalist minister who had come from Boston to march in the protest, was beaten severely by KKK members, and he died of his head injuries two days later at age 38. Damn. Yeah. So they they were still getting, even though it wasn't from a state or federal level, those motherfuckers. Yeah, for sure. March 13th, though. Four days later, President Lyndon Johnson actually met with the SELC to curb the violence and the Alabama National Guard was mobilized to protect demonstrators. Okay. March 15th, President Johnson addressed Congress in support of voting the voting rights bill, quoting the famous civil rights cry, we shall overcome. Mm-hmm. It's kind of weird, but yeah, different times. Two days later, the federal district court judge, Frank Johnson Jr., ruled in favor of the marchers and their protection during the march. So again... Providing more yeah. protection. Back to Viola. She couldn't believe the images of the march when she started to see them because they were all over the news everywhere. Yeah, obviously, yeah. And she felt moved to get involved. On March 16th, she took part in a local protest at Wayne State. And afterwards, she called her husband and told him that she was going to go down to Selma after hearing Martin Luther King put out a call for people of all faith uh, and all ethnicities to come and help stating that this was everybody's fight. Her husband didn't really completely understand and definitely was concerned for her safety. Mm -hmm. And one of her older daughters even begged her to let her go in her mom's place. Like, no, let me go, mom. Yeah. You know, somebody will go, but it shouldn't be you. Yeah. Uh, But obviously. She's like, I'm going. Yeah. Yeah. She stopped by Sarah's house, you know, again, they're good friends, to let her know that she was going. And Sarah warned Viola, stating... They don't think like you down there, honey. What you're talking about is dangerous. Viola listened, but she promised that nothing would happen to her. However, she did ask Sarah to promise to look after her children if she didn't return. While tears welled in her eyes, which is just like a heartbreaking. Right. Yeah. So she contacted the SCLC. They gave her the job of delivering aid to various locations, as well as welcoming and recruiting volunteers and helping with the transportation of volunteers including things like airport runs, bus terminal, and train station, because she was coming with a car. Her 1963 baby Blue Oats mobile. Stan. Yeah. 
So March 21st, 1965, about 8,000 people gathered for another march starting at Brown Chapel before continuing with a five-day-long march to the capital of Alabama, Montgomery. Mm-hmm. This included a wide range of people, because again, that's who the call had been for. So right. there are Black people, there are white people, there are doctors, nurses, working class, priests, nuns, rabbis, homemakers, students, actors, farmers, yeah, whoever. By the end, about 25,000 people would join for a final rally at the state capitol where Martin Luther King gave his how long, not long speech. Viola marched for the first whole day and she returned to Selma for the night. And on Wednesday, the 24th, she rejoined the march for the final four miles. I'm not sure exactly what happened in the in-between times. And it should also be noted that while he was giving that speech, there was a Confederate flag just, you know, waving in the background. Yeah. Just to kind of set the five Confederate flag. Yeah. People in Canada are using it. And I'm like, really? Yeah. The Fuck fucking off. trucker rally or whatever. I'm like, nobody should be using this. But least of all you, Canada, this isn't even your history. Yeah. Like it shouldn't be used here because it wasn't the home team. And it definitely wasn't the home team in Canada. Mm-hmm. Stop. That's weird. The only place a Confederate flag belongs is a museum. Like. This is a bad part of our history that happened. That's yeah. all it needs to happen. Yeah, because we, I mean, we, we have to remember the bad points of history in right. historical context because let's not have that shit happen again. Right. We can't forget history because then we'll repeat it, but yeah. we can't glorify it by waving it all the time. Yeah. Anyway. So as everything was concluding, Viola was basically, again, assigned to bring people back and forth. Yeah. So she, alongside Leroy Moton, who was a 19-year-old African-American man. And he was helping her with the shuttling of volunteers. And so they're heading back from Montgomery to Salma and then back to Montgomery. Yeah. So a little bit about Leroy, because we're going to be with him for a second. He was the son of a cook in an Air Force base in Salma. And he remembers watching TV footage of civil rights protesters in Florida and Little Rock. At the time, he couldn't imagine this type of activism in his very racist hometown of Selma, Alabama. Mm. He was a pretty shy kid, but around age 10, unfortunately, he came across a front page article of the weekly Pittsburgh Courier, which he was actually selling for a dime because he was a newspaper boy, I guess. Yeah. And it showed a badly battered and slain boy just four years older than him. Why was his face so injured? Well, he was accused of flirting with a 20-year-old white housewife. And this, of course, is the story of Emmett Till. And that stuck with him. I mean, how could how could that fucking not stick right. with you? So a few years later, when he was about 14, he had his own instance when three white men accosted him for daring to smile at an amiable at amiable white girls whose lunch orders he took at the drive-in diner he was working at. Oh my God. He was just basically someone who smiled too. Yeah. Some people are smiley. But these men couldn't be me, but there's people. These men, their reaction was to stuff him in the trunk of their car, drive him down a few dirt roads and return him to the restaurant. What the fuck? His white boss, it must be noted or it should be noted, then told the men that Leroy was, quote unquote, just friendly, kind of standing up for him, I guess. Yeah. But he also proceeded to fire Leroy. So fuck off. Yeah. At age 15, 
He recalled hearing the white owner of the supper club that he was washing dishes at demand that he answer his son, who was barely Leroy's age, with things like, yes, sir. And no, sir. He wanted him to call another teenager, sir. Ew. Yeah. Ew. Leroy didn't, though. So good good on you. His boss would later threaten him, telling him that he would kick his ass until his nose bleeds if he ever caught him with activists. What the fuck? Within weeks, Leroy joined the SCLC as a volunteer. Just a month before he met V, so just a month before these events, he was amongst the marchers in Marion, Alabama, the same march that previously mentioned Jimmy Lee Jackson getting shot during. So he had actually been at that thing. Okay. He actually even went to jail for that protest, and he spent the night there not knowing basically what had happened to anybody else for the evening. So V and Leroy met actually when she first arrived in Selma and his job was to park the cars of demonstrators with out-of-state plates out of sight to avoid hostile locals. Yeah. He was sitting on the steps of Brown Chapel when the small Viola approached and asked him where to sign up. So a week later, after the, the last march that she met again, the two of them, along with four other marchers, piled into the car. Motown recalls Viola mentioning returning to Detroit to visit her family the next day. Uh So V had been warned by James Orange, a veteran of the SCLC, that it could be dangerous and that she shouldn't go out to Montgomery, but she went anyway. Uh And along Route 80, a car tried to force them off the road. Damn. Yeah. But they made it to Selma. They dropped off the four passengers and then were returning. Yeah. Leroy assumed that Viola might want him to drive so she could rest up for a long drive home the next day. But she actually instead offered to drive because she needed to get used to going long distances. Yeah. I'm like, girl, you're only there for a week. Right. And they headed back, but they stopped at a B&P gas station to fill up. Leroy went in to purchase two bottles of Coke and the two were met with some verbal abuse and racist commentary outside. But they were able to continue. So they continued on and V stopped at a red light. And a Ford hardtop pulled up next to him. The driver was a 20-something white young man. He had his arms draped over a young woman's shoulders. The young woman noticed Leroy and V and started to laugh and stick her tongue out at the pair. What a shithead. Yeah. The pair drove off and V shook her head, stating, It's a shame how some people act. Yeah. And, And they continued on their way. So then, though, they noticed something kind of strange. The lights along the highway had all been on during the drive to Selma, but now they were all off. It was pitch black, like like uh, company lights. Yeah. And even places that were known for staying open until like two dark. Like Waffle House. Yeah. Waffle House. Gone. Not gone. <laughs> out. Yeah. The two continued to chat, though. This is when Leroy noticed a car lights in the distance behind them, but he assumed that it was probably more Montgomery bound volunteers. Yeah. But somewhere around 20 minutes later, V was singing and Leroy realized that his favorite 8 p.m. show was about to come on Randy's record shop out of Nashville. So he leaned over to the radio to turn it on. This is when shots came out of nowhere. They shattered the driver's side window, spraying glass everywhere. The Oldsmobile swerved, took a hard right and drove into a ditch and a fence. Leroy felt his right shoulder and the side of his head slam into the dashboard. He was knocked unconscious. Contrary to reports that actually say he played dead, but he's 
unconscious. Yeah, he's like, yeah. no, I was unconscious for like 10 or 20 minutes at least. Older cars are not known for their safety features, so. No. Yeah. No. It's pretty easy to believe he was knocked unconscious. Yeah. And that's lucky. Yeah. So where did the shots come from? A car containing four members of the KKK. Ugh. So according to one of the men in the car, when the, saw, the four men saw that the car contained a white woman with a black man, they, they decided, hey, let's follow that car. Yeah. One of the men named Roe would later go on to describe a high speed chase in which Viola increased speed to try and outrun them. The four overtook the Oldsmobile and shot directly at V, placing two shots directly in her head. But this man was full of shit. Uh, Leroy would later report, who was with her, Motan, would later report that there was never any chase. They might have been behind them, but it was nothing more than one car behind another car. It was never, there was no high speed necessarily. So Leroy was covered with blood, but luckily, again, the bullets had missed him. Yeah. We don't know how long he was passed out for, but eventually he regained consciousness and he saw Viola's body motionless with her foot still on the accelerator, actually. Oh, my God. Yeah. So he turned off the ignition first and he he grabbed her arm and started screaming, miss, miss, you know, trying to revive her. Yeah. He kept shaking her, but she wasn't moving. And that's when he knew she was dead. Mm. He ran into the darkness away from the freeway until something started rustling in the brush, sending him back towards the highway. because. That's freaky, too. Yeah. Later, he was reflecting on it, though, and thinks it was probably cows. Yeah. So he ran down the middle of the roads, the road towards Selma, and an oncoming sports car containing a white dude almost ran him off the road. So he returned to Leozo's car and he slid back inside, trying to shake her one more time, hoping that the, his Maybe first assignment was, yeah. was wrong. Yeah. Like, please, please, dear God, like, wake up. Yeah. But when that was to no avail, he took off again towards Montgomery. Uh-huh. So while he was running down the center line, he was shocked to hear singing. This is when he found that their passing by was an open bed truck driven by Reverend Leon Riley, who was also shuttling civil rights workers back to Selma. Uh-huh. So he got the truck's attention. He told the pastor about the shooting and he joined the back of the truck and they all headed back to Selma. Uh-huh. Leroy was dropped off at a church where he told a policeman parked across the street about the shooting. The officer reported it on his car radio, but he then informed Leroy that the police were actually already on the scene. They had been tipped off by an FBI informant. So on the night of the murder back in Detroit, some of her children would later recall that that evening when the march had concluded and things were seemingly safe. Yeah. That they were kind of celebrating. They were like dancing around and happy and and whatnot. And that's when Jim, their dad, told them to stop. That it was still dangerous for mom to be there. A few hours later, around midnight, that's when they got the call. And some of them recall Jim saying, mommy's dead, mommy's dead. Just just a huge bummer. They saw their dad cry pretty much for like the first time. Yeah. And pretty soon the house was covered with reporters, which is what everybody wants. Oh, yeah. I'm grieving. Come bother the fuck out of me. Just a little bit about the aftermath again with her family some more. Yeah. Viola's body was brought back to the city of Detroit and her funeral was held at Immaculate Heart of Mary Catholic Church on March 30th. It was attended by many prominent members of the civil rights movement and government officials, including Martin Luther King Jr., NAACP Executive Director Roy Wilkins, Congress of Racial Equality, 
uh, national leader James Farmer, Michigan Lieutenant Governor William G. Milliken, Teamster President Jimmy Hoffa, UAW President Walter Ruthers. And she was buried at Holy S-E-P-U-L-C-H-R-E. I've seen it before. Sure. Sepulchra. Sepulchra Cemetery in Southfield, Michigan. Sure. Is it Latin? Might be I, Latin. Don't I don't know. I don't know. I didn't get deep enough in Catholicism to hear that word. Yeah. So Lyndon B. Johnson went on the news right away after the shooting, though. And he put out a call for members to leave the KKK and to stop this kind of violence. Pretty reasonable call. Yeah. yeah. He quickly also shared the four assailants had been identified and listed them by name. Collie Wilkins, age 21, William Eaton, age 41, Eugene Thomas, 42, and Gary Rowe, age 34. He also ordered an investigation of the KKK and petitioned for Congress to make it legal to file federal murder charges against killers of civil rights workers. This also sped up support for the Voting Rights Act. And weeks later, Congress actually passed the Voting Rights Act, which and signed into law by President Johnson in August of 1965. So Work. about six months later. Yeah. As for the four assailants, motherfucker. I'm guessing they were met with justice and everything was great. We'll get into it. Yeah. So Wilkins, Eaton, and Thomas, members of the Clavern, which was a Klan group in Bessemer, Alabama, were arrested within 24 hours. So why wasn't the fourth man, Roe, arrested? Well, he was the FBI informant. Ugh. So now a little side story. Uh, Gary Thomas Rowe Jr. was a paid informant and agent for a uh, provocator for the FBI. He had been recruited in April of 1960 when the FBI discovered that the Klan was attempting to recruit him as well. Because of his previous experience uh, with the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco and Firearms, where he helped to bust up illegal alcohol still trading with cheap firearms, the FBI started talking with him. Uh. They also discovered that he had dropped out of high school to join the Georgia National Guard and the U.S. Marine Corps Reserves. After his discharge, he attempted to join the Sheriff's Department, but his application was rejected as he didn't have a high school diploma. Uh. The FBI asked him to infiltrate the KKK to monitor and disrupt it. So that's why within 24 hours, he provided all three names because that's technically his job. Yeah, but was his job also to shoot innocent people? It wasn't. No. Okay. No. And well, it's not a lot of job descriptions of the government, no. but it seems to no. happen quite frequently. So back in Detroit, it wasn't going well for her family. And less than two weeks after her death, uh, a charred cross was found in the front of four Detroit homes, including the Liuzzo home. Are they but, sure that wasn't just a lowercase t? Mm-hmm. Just kidding. <laughs> but it wasn't the only way they were being attacked. There were armed bodyguards hired to stay at their home all the time. And people did things like throw garbage at their home. Oh, God. There was one story of Sally, the youngest, coming home crying after being tormented. The younger children really struggled to understand why their mother was hated so much, which is just yeah upsetting. For real. The next year also contained a smear campaign devised under J. Edgar Hoover's FBI against Viola Liuzzo's character, as well as that of her family. Oh, God. This was used to divert attention from the fact that Roe had tipped off his handler that there might be trouble the day before Viola was killed. 
So he had already told somebody in the FBI, like shit's about to go down. Yeah. The FBI had been gathering information on not only Viola, but her husband, Anthony, because remember he was a part of the Teamsters. Yeah. And worked closely with men such as Jimmy Hoffa. And they'd already been gathering information previous to this happening for quite some time. Yeah. They would end up gathering over a thousand pages on Viola specifically. Oh my God. That's a lot. Yeah. They depicted her as an unstable woman with an unsavory character who often committed adultery by sleep, sleeping with young black men and painted her husband as a thug. So it was factual information. Yes, very credible, very factual. Nothing but the facts. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, actually, the next thing I wrote is so basically a lot of bullshit. Yeah. Uh, in addition to this, Selma Sheriff Jim Clacker obtained a file known as the Lane Report from the former chief of detectives in Detroit, who also questioned Viola's mental stability, stating that, quote, the Lane Report bolstered by J. Edgar Hoover's self-serving portrayal of Mrs. Liuzzo as a drug-taking middle-aged adulteress with a black teenage lover set her reputation in stone. Fuck off. For real. Let this woman be dead. Yeah. So they were just trying to, like, turn the public against her before yeah. anything such as trials happened. Yeah. So as for Wilkins, Eaton, and Thomas, they were sent to trial in Alabama where they were indicted on April 21st. Both Roe and Leroy Motan served as witnesses yeah. in this trial. And these were the trials for the actual murder. They were lengthy and the defendant's tactics were very shady. I'm shocked. They attacked V's character, as had been done in the FBI reports, as well as the, as the characters of the key witnesses, Roe and Leroy. One deserves it, one doesn't. Yeah. During one deposition, the defense lawyer even suggested that Leroy had been the one to shoot to rob her. And in another instance, he was asked if they, everybody who had been in the vehicle, had sex with her, citing that sperm was found in the car, yet there was no actual... That was not entered into evidence. Right. You can't just make up. As far sperm. as I know, it was not entered into evidence. Yeah. Uh, the jury it's a also. bold claim to make too. Mm -hmm. And the juries, because again, this is separate trials too. One for each man. Yeah. Uh, were composed entirely of, can you guess it? White men. White straight men white men. From the surrounding communities. Racist who in the straight end, white men. Can you guess how it went for all three of them? Because they all had the same end. <laughs> Medal of Honor. Yeah, Medal of Honor. No, yeah. they were all acquitted. Yeah. And while they got away with literal murder. Yep. There was more prosecution to be brought against them at the federal level. So remember how a federal judge had ordered the state of Alabama to protect the activists? Uh-huh. They were all tried at the federal level for violating Viola's civil rights of safety. Yeah. So the three Klansmen were found guilty of depriving her of these rights and they were sentenced, but unfortunately only to a maximum of 10 years, which they all received the 10 years, but that was the maximum sentence for this. Damn. Eaton, however, died of natural causes before starting his sentence. Interesting. Yeah. So August 6, 1965. This is the official day that the Voting Rights Act is signed into law. And this might have been sped up actually because of these events. Uh-huh. Um, because you know everything's for the media and for a show to a certain degree. Yeah. Well, before that, voting was actually was obviously very racist. You didn't necessarily need to 
be white to vote, but it was much, much, much harder. You needed to have a white person vouch for you. Oh, essentially, which is just garbage. Yeah, this one's okay. says white dude. So in the meantime of all this, too, um, her husband was taking this pretty hard and Sarah actually became one of the main caretakers for the five children. So Sarah Evans would be. She a help a her promise. Mama number two. Yeah. Them. And now we're going to go a little bit forward to the mid 70s. Hoover passed and some of her children began to look a little bit into things because, you know, they're a little older. Yeah. And they obtained some of the FBI records at some point only to show that most of it had been blacked out. Yeah. Yeah. In 1978, uh, Anthony, her husband, passed away at age 65, which is about 13 years after, which is 13 years after she was murdered. Mm-hmm. He, di- he died in Carbondale, Pennsylvania, after being moved there after suffering a stroke in his Novi home a few months prior. Uh-huh. Uh, this also came a few months, though, after he and two other men pled guilty in the Detroit recorder's court to charges of attempting to burn down a Detroit market for insurance money. I mean, arson. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know. He was sentenced to five years probation after lawyers argued for a lighter sentence because of his declining health. Fair. Okay. Her children would eventually kind of scatter around the country, Mm -hmm. uh, some of them becoming like a little bit more off the grid, we'll say. Yeah. In 1975, Gary Rowe was bought before the Senate, though, Uh and he testified stating that the FBI knew he was participating in violence and that he was told to participate in the violence. Okay, sir. Mm -hmm. He's even written a book about it. Oh, my God. He was suspected of being involved in a number of clan events. And the question of was he more involved in Viola's murder than he let on always kind of floating out there. Because initially in the, the earlier trials, it was I forget which one, but one of the other three men was the one that he said had done it. Yeah. And I'm not sure exactly when this came up, but later after the two men were out of prison. So sometime after 1975. And Gary Rowe never was in prison. Yeah. They were all put under lie detector tests. And they were all asked who shot. The two men both listed Rowe. They both passed those lie detector tests. This piece of shit. Mm-hmm. And again, we know that that's not a 100% guarantee, but the odds of both of them passing. Right. It, it, it's just more data samples. Like yes. one. Once and it's twice a hobby, you know what I mean? Yes. That's about lie detectors. Yeah. So it's, it's bullshit. Yeah. So he probably was very involved. And, and there, there's, again, he was involved in so many like clan related things. And yeah. who knows he to was a what double extent. He, for what side. Yes. Yes. So Tommy and Tony, the two of the sons. Yeah eventually hired a lawyer and due to the Freedom of Information Act, they accessed the FBI files. Yeah. And they found that Hoover had personally created the smear campaign against their What mother. a piece of shit. There was evidence that the FBI had purposefully leaked parts of her files to convey, convey her as such a terrible woman. Right. There was also things that came up in in those files that were like very inaccurate and might've come up in court. I don't know for sure, but things like her having needle marks, she never had needle marks. 
there was also speculation that was she was sitting unusually close to Leroy in the car, which they were in seats in a car. Like, that's it. Yeah. Oh, and also right after the accident, for some reason, they did a vaginal swab. But why? Like, they were trying to, like, purposely make it seem like some, like, raunchy, heinous, like, sex something had happened. And just dumb. Right. Car crash, but her swiper vag. Yes. And I believe at this point, and some of this is coming out of dialogue in a documentary that I watched. So this is me trying to kind of translate what I heard. Yeah. But I believe that this is when Tony also started to notice more inaccuracies sometime in the 70s in all the reporting. So the blood evidence and the autopsy did not match the story. Not it did not match Rose's story. It did not necessarily match Leroy's, who was also unconscious for a bit. So like he had to piece together stuff, too. Yeah. So the angle at which the bullet entered her head is more reminiscent of someone approaching the side door and shooting at a closer range Uh than a drive by. Because a drive by, it almost has to kind of go like up or like straight through. And in this instance, and there are photos of it. Yeah. And it was shown in this documentary. In the autopsy photos, you can, I guess they use a pole to put into the bullet wounds to kind of see the the motion, the trajectory. Yeah. And how far they went and, you know, figure science things. Yeah. It goes down at an angle, like into the side of her face. Interesting. Which would be somebody coming from above, right? Yeah. You know, not directly above, but like even a little bit above. Right. And also the blood splatters on the car. So if it's a moving vehicle, because she would have been moving, they would go back, right? Like streaks back. That's not how they look on the vehicle at all. So just inaccuracies that were never approached at the time. And again, there's photographs of the vehicle. Yeah. The evidence is there, but it was not like used properly. properly. So there's also bruise marks on her arms in the autopsy, which were like, I, I didn't see them come up anywhere. Yeah. And they were fairly consistent with a human hand grabbing somebody's arm and holding them in place. Holy shit. So it's more likely that they shot at the car, probably moving shot at the car. This is how I kind of piece it together. He was probably not, Leroy was probably knocked unconscious. She was probably still conscious. They came over, they pulled her out of the car and then shot her and then put her back in the car. That's so fucked up. Or opened the door and held her. Yeah. Something like something very clearly like intent to kill in a very Mm -hmm. like shitty way. Yeah. And I don't know what the blood patterns on the inside of the car that would probably actually show if it was in or out, but it just, it nothing made sense. And so he's been questioning that in a later discussion to Leroy Moton would go on to say that he was definitely unconscious during the whole thing. And then in some recollections, he kind of does remember hearing the assailants come back to the car. Okay. Because when you're unconscious, you're, you, you you're mostly be, out. Yeah, but in some it brown out versus a blackout. You know what I mean? Right. Like you can have those moments. Like you have too. Like a certain like I feel like I heard this or saw. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's also some speculation that Leroy may have been forced to give a slightly alternative story than what actually happened because you see, whenever he spoke or whenever Roe was around, there was multiple FBI agents. So in 1978, right after that lie detector fiasco. A grand jury in Alabama indicted Gary Rowe on charges of complicity in the death of Violiozo. But since the FBI failed to take fingerprints of the gun at the time, and you can't use lie detector, that's not inadmissible evidence. Yeah. 
so it was mostly circumstantial evidence, even despite testimony from Wilkins and Thomas at this trial, because they were out and they had been subpoenaed. He, I believe, was found guilty, but then a federal judge intervened and charges were dropped. Ugh. So starting in 1978 and continuing until like around 1983, basically the Liuzos, like the Liuzo children, decided to try and sue the FBI for $2 million. Good. Yeah. They filed basically that the FBI had acted improperly in the death of their mother, claiming that the FBI informant was in the car and could have prevented the fatal shots. Ultimately, though, they were ruled against and they were asked to pay $100,000 in court costs instead. That's fucked up. Yeah. 1989, though, Viola Liuzzo's name was added to the Civil Rights Memorial in Montgomery, Alabama. And in 1991, the women of the SDLC erected a stone marker on Highway 80 at the spot of her murder and inscribed it with, In memory of our sister, Viola Liuzzo, who gave her life in the struggle for the right to vote March 25th, 1965. Uh, Vandals, unfortunately, though, have gotten to the marker multiple times including one time in 1997 when someone painted a fucking Confederate flag on it. Oh, Jesus Christ. Fencing has been added around it since then. I don't, yeah. you know, well, I don't know when the fencing was added, but there is fencing around it now. That's good. Yeah. At some point, her son, Tony, started to devote his life to keeping her spirit alive. Yeah. And he and his wife, Estab- Sue, established the Viola Greg Liuzzo Institute for Human Rights. Uh, assuring human dignity. Mm-hmm. There was a 2005 documentary about Viola made called Home of the Brave, directed by, by Paola Di Florio. I okay. did my best. <laughs> it's basically about her children, and Sarah Evans actually is in it as well. So Mary, the middle daughter, actually retraces her mother's road trip from Detroit to Selma with the filmmakers. And she starts out by going and seeing Sarah. And you can just tell, like, the love they have for each other. Yeah, you really can. And Sarah, unfortunately, had just had a stroke, but she put on some lipstick for Mary to come over. Yeah, Mary's like, Oh, you put your lipstick on for me? That's so nice. You know, yeah. And she she got out the old photo albums. They were going through old photos. Uh, They show a part of her living room, too. And there's a picture of Viola in like one of those double frames, like on the side table. And it's either next to Jesus or a saint, but I forgot to write it down. But it was just like, that's how high, yeah, you know, she holds her to her heart. And she also talks about, she's recalling meeting V and she says, we just clicked. I knew her better than anybody. Oh, yeah. And in 2013, Leroy Moten met with Mary and Leroy cried in Mary's arms. Because he also often asks himself, did I cause her murder by being in the car with her? Yeah. But the two, I, I don't think. I no, mean, her, no, that's like, that's, but like a read, what a, that's a reach. But also what, what a, a thing to question have, to ha- like to be carry, weighing on you. Yeah. yeah. And it's, I mean, it's, that's horrible. Yeah. And no, you for sure didn't. No. But like jackasses yeah. caused it. but. Oh, it breaks my heart. But the two of them actually like exchanged phone numbers and were in contact and stuff. So like, I think it's kind of nice that yeah. she got to meet one of her daughters and hopefully there was some, a little bit of rest from that. Yeah. But, uh, so we're now going to go to March of 2021. Okay. 
This is when it was announced that a film production company has picked up the movie rights to a biography of Viola Yuzo. Oh, nice. Deadline.com reports that Entertainment Studios Motion Pictures, the film division of Allen Media Group, has bought worldwide media rights to the biography from Salma Tassaro, The Life and Death of Viola Liuzzo. Tina Allen has written a screenplay for the book by Mary Stanton. Okay. So the premise is, quote, Liuzzo's story will be told through the eyes of her very best friend, Sarah Evans, an African-American woman who introduced her to the civil rights movement and raised Liuzzo's five children after an untimely death. Nice. I love that they're doing this through Sarah. Yeah, no, for sure. I couldn't, I was trying to find if Sierra was, Sierra, if Sarah was still around. Around. I did find a weird Detroit record for Sarah Evans, who's 107. Love that. So she might still be around. And if so, that's amazing and awesome. But I I have no other confirmation of that. But I just their friendship and then she raised her kids for her and yeah. she, I mean, just everything about their friendship is just happy valentine's day yes this friendship is beautiful a valentine it is and a horrible story yes awful just awful but it's an important part one. of history it, yes. it really is and it's like mm-hmm. i'm glad you did the story yeah and i mean it brings up it brings up a lot of questions because she was the only white woman who was killed in the yeah. the fight for, you know, voting rights. And I, I mean, I phenomenal woman, but it is also weird because like, that's not the center of it. It shouldn't be, you know, centered right. around her. It should, I mean, so it, it, there's just like a lot of interesting dialogues there. Like when you look at something like World War II, which is obviously a tragedy, there's been 12,000 movies about World War II. Yeah. I want there to be 12,000 movies about the civil rights movement. Oh, yeah. No, I will be very excited to see this movie. I, I'm excited to I'll see. I'll probably be purchasing this book. Um, it's one of those things like I was so deep into the research by the time oh, I yeah. found out. Because it's weird because I feel like when I look stuff up, why doesn't the book pop up first? The book should pop up first. Yeah. But it do- it never does. No. Real quick, my sources. Yes. So an article called Lest We Forget by Jack Lessonberry in the Metro Times in 1999. Wikipedia, of course. An article by Donna Britt from 2019 in the Washington Post. An article by Neil Baumgartner in February of 2013 on ferris.edu. An article by Alyssa Ness in 2016, digitalcommons.mtech.edu. Detroit Free Press article by Eric Sharp from 1978. And the 2005 documentary, Home of the Brave that I mentioned in the story, which I, I recommend it's, it's narrated by Stockard Channing, which. Oh, I do love Stockard Channing. Yeah. I love her and she's got a good narrator voice. Yeah. Good narrator voice. And it's really cool. Cause it's, you're mostly with Mary in it. Yeah. But uh, Tony makes a lot of appearances in it too. So does one of the, I think both of the other sisters, but again, Mary's the kind of yeah. predominant one in it. It's worth a watch. Yeah. Two ninety nine Amazon. Yeah. Have at. Yeah. Didn't expect this story. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm glad you did it. I'm excited to see what they do with it on the big screen. Yeah. Again, I th- I think this it has a lot of potential, and I like that they're fo- they're doing it from the lens of Sarah because it also puts such a strong impact on their relationship. Yeah. And again, like I love their meet cute, the beautiful love story of Sarah and V. Yeah. Is 
Mm, I can't wait. Yeah. Well, I think it's time for a two truths and a lie now that we've had this wonderful story. I think so too. I think that sounds great. So this is from our favorite source. Mental floss. Yes. Floss your mental. I don't know. Yes. Floss your brain. And so today's two truths and a lie is about fast foods, original location. So I'm going to give you a chain in the Ooh, city. Okay. And you have to figure out which pairing is incorrect. Okay. So I'm down. Number one. Okay. KFC, Salt Lake City, Utah. Okay. Number two, McDonald's, Wichita, Kansas. Number three, TGI Fridays, New York City, New York. I feel like you wouldn't put the Kentucky one in there if that wasn't true, but I also feel like I've been to the original Kentucky Fried Chicken on a road trip down south, like going south, uh-huh. which is not Salt Lake City. Fuck it, I'm going with it. That one's actually true. Okay, then I've been to one that wasn't fast food yet, but it was the original. That's You probably went to the one in Corbin, Kentucky. So Yes, I definitely went to that one. So Harlan Sanders began selling his chicken from a service Damn station it. in Corbin, Kentucky in the 30s. In 1952, he made a partnership with Pete Harmon of Utah. So, like, okay. so Pete could sell the Colonel's chicken at this restaurant, thus becoming the first KFC. Okay. I knew it was wrong, but I had to go with it anyway. Cause no, I was that's like, why I put it in there. That's exactly where was I at? Cause I went to the, yeah. in the museum. There's like a museum. Yeah. I, went, I don't know why I went. I went though. You passed it. That's why. Um, so okay, McDonald's, other, Wichita, Kansas and TGI Fridays, New York, New York. I'm going to go with McDonald's then. Correct. Okay. Uh, San Bernardino is real city. That makes sense. Yeah. California. Yeah, two brothers took their father's food stand that was originally called the Air Dome and moved mm-hmm. it to San Bernardino in 1940, renaming it McDonald's Barbecue. Mm-hmm. And it was a kind of like that kind of operation, a car hop, as they called it back yeah. in the day, until 1948 when it was restructured into the hamburger restaurant we know today. Okay. TGI Fridays was really founded in New York, which kind of blew me away. That's weird. Well, so here's the story. Alan Stillman wanted to, like... Wanted a place in Manhattan where he lived uh-huh. to f- meet single people. <laughs> he made so he himself started, a singles bar? He made himself a singles bar called TGI Fridays. With dollar margaritas. Yeah. And it was one of the first establishments to have a ladies night as like a promotion to get people in. <laughs> Isn't that great? Is. But also <laughs> garbage because yeah. TGI Fridays. Mm-hmm. Um, just some honorable mentions. Uh, Chipotle's from Denver. That. That actually makes a lot of sense. It does? Okay. I mean, not food-wise, but vibe-wise. Yeah. No, now that you say vibe. like... Yeah. Wendy's is from Columbus, Ohio. That actually really makes sense to me, too. Yeah. Have you seen Dave Thomas? Yeah. 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 Any guess of which state Hooters is from? Somewhere in the South. Yep. Is it Texas? Nope. I'm like... What else is in the South? I don't know why. Um, Oklahoma. No. No, that's real wrong. Just tell me. Clearwater, Florida. Oh, actually, that does. I don't know why I didn't guess Florida. Yeah. Subway's from Connecticut. Bridgeport, Connecticut. Doesn't that seem weird? That does seem weird. 
Uh, that one doesn't fit the vibe. No. And lastly, do you know where the first Little Caesars was? I'm guessing not Michigan now because the way you said that. No, it's Michigan. It's just oh, like it's which Mich- Michigan city? Oh, which city? Yeah. Okay. Um, I don't think it was Detroit. I'm going to go with South Haven. Nope. Garden City. Oh, okay. Like odd. But yeah, Garden City sure. was the first Little Caesars. Yeah. Sure. Why not? Yeah. So that was my little Tutors and Lie from Mental That's Plus. a fun one. Yeah. I like saw it. I'm like, oh, this mm-hmm. could be fun. I'm always fascinated by um, how there's like different types of fast food and like regional fast food. Yeah. I think it's like very. And out west, they have like the most fast food. Yeah. Because they have California. They have everything we have here and then they have extra ones. Yeah. Like Michigan, I don't feel like has anything. There used to be rallies like way back in the day, which is now checkers like they were like taken by them or whatever. But I don't. Corporate edition. (laughs) Yes. But I don't feel like there's a lot of. um... We got pizza, baby. No, no, no. I know. I'm not complaining about it, but it's weird because I don't feel like there's a lot of regional fast food here. That's like I think our regional here. fast food is Tim the Hortons. Pizza, we have Tim Hortons because we're close to Canada. Yeah. I almost threw that one in there, but like, of course it was Ontario. Yeah, that would have been. Yeah. I was like going to put that like uh, they started in like Pennsylvania. I'm like, I don't think she'll buy that. I would not have bought that at all. No. no. Yeah. Never. Because I remember going to Canada. And it being a big deal. Yeah. When it wasn't here. Yeah. 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 Yeah, exactly. It was. You go get your Timmy hose and then you go stay at a Hojo's and then. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, Don't yeah. You know. oh yeah. Oh yeah. The whole Joel. The whole Joel. The whole Joel in. <laughs> I added into it. Oh but I- yeah. <laughs> but I think that wraps us. I think we are deeply wrapped. I don't we, know why deeply, but we are deeply wrapped like a Big Mac. Now they're coming boxes now. They're not wrapped I'm anymore. Hungry. Yeah. <laughs> We're wrapped like some fast deeply food. Deeply wrapped like whatever dinner i will purchase later yeah but if you want to find us on our social media at detroit strange on instagram and twitter detroit strange on facebook and our email address as i mentioned earlier if you've found jimmy hoffa or if you just want to drop us line you know detroit strange at Mm gmail.com and we would love it if you would support the show you can do that by giving us a five-star rating on apple Podcasts. We have Patreon at Detroit Strange. We've also got our Threadless shop. And honestly, just dropping us a line is also supporting yeah. us. So, or follow us on Instagram. Uh, encourage me to post more on there. Yeah, just like... <laughs> I forget sometimes. But I think... Until next time... Stay, stay strange. strange! This has been a production of Planet Ant Podcast, powered by Pinecast. Our theme song was recorded by Detroit's own Sex and Violence.